People complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And we heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the place was called Taborah because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Now, let's think about Moses' situation. He went from being a shepherd in the desert. God called him to a mighty work. He faced the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He went through all these plagues. Uh, and as he got through the plagues, finally they were able to march out of Egypt. As they marched out of Egypt, he had this Egyptian army that was following him as God led them in morning by cloud and at night by fire. They, they marched through these walls of water, dry seabed, and then the water comes back and crushes the Egyptian armies. Then they go in the wilderness. God continues to guide them. He provides manna, this food that comes and takes care of the people. He continues to provide guidance. God does miracle after miracle after miracle among them. And yet what happens? Uh, as we read here in the book of Numbers, they begin to gripe. We don't like the food. We don't like what we're eating. Um, look at verse 5. He says, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. All I can think of is the breath. But, okay, anyway. Uh, we look at those. They're, they're missing that, that old food, and they're complaining about it. If only we had that food. And then they complained about the path. If only we didn't have to travel so far. I'm so tired of this journey. And the enemy, the enemy's so great. And he had to put up with that. And, the, and this idea of what kind of future is this? If only we could go back to Egypt. The bottom line is, guys, as we look through this, we find a man who is exhausted. Here in Numbers 11, we find a man who is depressed. Why is he depressed? Because he's tired. He's been through all of this, and he's just physically spent. You go down to verse 10. It says, Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. Imagine this. All he could do is hear them crying. Oh, my. It's the burden that was upon him. It said, the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. Or you could render that. He was depressed. He was depressed. And he says, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you? And you put the burden of all these people on me. <laughs> and, and he goes down through here and, and, and basically just sharing his heart. He says, this burden's real heavy. God, why do I have to put up with these people? And verse 13 says, where can I get meat for all these people, these complainers? They just keep wailing. <laughs> he says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. So first we see the fact that he was exhausted. That was his physical problem. His spiritual problem was he had an inferiority complex. As you look at verse 15, he says, If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I've found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. He basically blamed himself for the position that the people were in. Although he was physically drained, he looked out, and in his mind, it's like, if only I had done more. If only I had been able to carry this burden myself and to get this work done. Matter of fact, as you go down through here, you discover that he was a guy that wanted to do it all himself. Anybody like that in here? 
You, you don't delegate because you say, well, nobody can do it like me. Nobody can get the job done as good as I can get the job done. That was Moses' issue. That was his problem. And he says, I can't carry this burden all by myself. Well, God never said you had to, Moses. Look at verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit that is on you and put the Spirit on them. They'll help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Moses, this is not all about you. You're not the source of the problem. You're not the source of the solution. There are other people out there who are my people who can help you, Moses. And so as he shares with him, he wants Moses to understand this is not his responsibility to act out alone. Now, spiritually, he had a problem. What was his problem there? He felt distant from God. Um, look at verse 11. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all this people on me? It's like, God, why all the junk? Why me? I'm the faithful servant, God. Why, why, why did it have to work this way, Lord? I, I don't understand. <laughs> you see, have this idea of, I, I can't do it. I can't fix it. They let me down. I have a quote here I wanted to share with you. It made me think. He says, When I was young and free and my imagination had no limits, I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change, so I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it, too, seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years and one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing my family, those closest to me, but alas, they would have none of it. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize, if only I had changed myself first. Then, by example, I would have changed my family. From their inspiration and encouragement, I would have been able to better my country. And who knows, I may have even changed the world. And, and, and here's Moses. They're not listening to me. They, they're not following my lead, God. <laughs> he felt picked on. He, he, he felt like God was just putting him under the gun and, and what was God's answer to him back off Moses as you're reading here what he says to him he says call these 70 people to come beside you in verse 17 he says what he says so that the people will be there with you you won't have to carry it alone Moses um, made me think of the 70 remember when Jesus sent out the 70 and, and they did these miracles and, and they, they spoke in Jesus name and they came back, and what happened when they came back? The, the crowds were there. They have an autograph signing party. Here they are, Jesus said. You want an autograph? Come get it. No, that's not what they did. Did they have testimony time? Well, let's have testimony time, and this place will rock with God. No, they didn't do that. You know what he did? He said, rest. You guys need to rest. So what did God say to Moses? Moses, <laughs> quit carrying the world on your shoulders. Your shoulders were never meant to do that. Rest. Vance Havner said, used to say, well, he said, come apart or you'll come apart. We get depressed when we get exhausted. You know, it, 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 it's been said that we become cowards, guys, when we're tired, when we're wiped out. And, and uh, that is exactly where he was. Okay, I want to look at another guy here, Elijah. 
one of my favorite characters uh, in 1 Kings 19. We read about Elijah. Now, he, he is one of my favorite Old Testament biblical characters. He's always caught my attention, how God has worked in his life. And um, as we read about him, he too was physically exhausted. And he had wrestled with the cults of uh, Baal for a long period of time. He had battled them in prayer. Uh, we see here in First Kings that he had battled 850 false prophets. And he was on the other side, and they had this challenge. <laughs> God miraculously shows up and licks up the offering with fire, and, and it's obvious that God is walking with Elijah, and the other gods are false gods. And so they go through this whole victory and this powerful show of God, and at the end of it, Elijah's wiped out. And I want you to see... In chapter 19, his response. Uh, now, Ahab, he's king, but he doesn't wear the breeches in that palace. And we'll see this. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Why did he go run into Jezebel? Because he's a little spoiled kid. I'm, uh, hey, honey, look what I did, look what I did. Look what you know, okay. So, but now we see who's really in charge. Uh, she starts talking, uh, verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Hmm. So after he's had this great spiritual experience, after he is wiped out, how does he react? Does he trust God? No. How, 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 what is his uh, problem spiritually? Instead of seeing God... He sees the enemies. And he's responding to the enemies instead of responding to God. He's seen God's victory, but he's not seen clearly because he's depressed, because he's exhausted. And so he takes off running, and he runs like 30 miles. So that should exhaust anybody, right? Another 30-mile journey. And he hasn't eaten much. And he comes, as we read the scripture here, um, verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. Took that 30-mile run. He ends up in the desert. And he came to a broom tree. He sat down under it and prayed he might die. What's he say? I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than any ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Now, here's a guy. Physically, he's exhausted. Emotionally, he's got a martyr's complex. And we're going to look at that in a few minutes. Uh, spiritually he's got his eyes on the enemy <laughs> so he's under this tree and God is so patient with him he says I just want to die Lord why am I here <laughs> look how gentle God is with him verse 5 he lay down on the tree fell asleep all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water he ate and drank and then lay down again the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, get up, eat, eat, for the journey's too much. He got up, he ate, and he drank. Now, guys, you talk about nutrition, power-packed, health food. We talk about energy drinks. Well, this is the, this is the true energy drink. Uh, man, he's so strengthened by this stuff, he takes off for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, we're talking, this is not fast food. Uh, this is not processed stuff that's in your freezer at home. Uh, this is stuff that's highly, really 
fill with what you need. And he takes off, and he ends up, we're familiar with the story, he ends up in a cave. And while he's in the cave, he's having a pity party. And you know the trouble with a pity party. Nobody wants to come. There he is, all by himself, huddled up in this cave, shivering, shaking, trembling, wiped out. Uh, it says, uh, verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He says, uh, they've rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What's he got? He's got the martyr's complex. I'm the only one left. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there? At your job, at your church, in your family. God, I'm the only one. Nobody will listen to me, and I'm right. And God, if it wasn't for me, this whole thing would come crumble and day. That's where he was. Oh, woe is me. It's all up to me. Oh, the, the mark. And, and, and notice how God deals with him. And, and I know we're out of, I won't take the time to, to go into it, but, you know, all this powerful stuff comes and, and God speaks to him in a whisper instead of all that powerful stuff. And, uh, and when he speaks to him, uh, it's interesting how he, he just, uh, he's just very honest with him. He <laughs> uh, says, verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So what's he say here? <laughs> he says, uh, hey, I've got 7,000 other people. You are not the only one, Elijah. And there needs to be a reminder sometimes. We have to have a reminder that, that we're not alone. We have to get out of this uh, idea that it's, it's just us as we get so burdened and get so depressed. Uh, and, and that happens. And, and one more quick thing with Elijah. Um, he found a friend. Look at verse 19. God brought to him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He ended up going with Elijah. And that was huge. That was huge. Now, I've got to move on. I'm going to look at Jonah real briefly here. One thing about all three of these guys. They were on a spiritual high. What Moses had seen God do to rescue them. What Elijah had experienced in defeating 850 false prophets and saw God move and work. And then what about Jonah? Most successful evangelist in the world. <laughs> you know, what a crazy story. Is you got a guy who's a called evangelist and he goes over to a city and he walks for three days in that city and he's preaching. Of course, uh, he'd spent some time in the belly of a big fish and got that uh, out, so, you know. And, and then he's on the land, and oh, that whole story, exhausted through all that, walks three days preaching. There's this great revival that happens. And, and, and yeah, he's exhausted, but you think he'd be like, Go, oh God, I'm not tired. Look at all this. This is wonderful. But that's not what happens as we look in the book of Jonah. Instead, we find out that uh, in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? He's, he's angry. Why is he angry? Well, he, he, he's angry because um, his problem was he had this feeling of superiority. God, you shouldn't save these people. God, these people aren't worth being forgiven. God, these people are the bad guys. 
God, I, I didn't want to preach to them. And now look what you've gone and done. You've saved them. God, how could you do that? You've been depressed. Things just don't go your way. God, why did you choose to do this? Why is that bad person receiving your mercy? God, why, why have you chosen to respond this way? You see, and he was a bitter guy. That was his emotional problem. He, he, he was bitter and he had this complex of, of, of those guys don't deserve your grace. Well, none of us deserve his grace. But in chapter 4, verse 4, here he is. Now picture this. This is crazy, guys. There is this revival going on in Nineveh, man. People are fired up for God, and the worship is just amazing. We would all just love to be a part of that. Seeing God, I mean, the place was rocking with Jesus. Uh, well, not, well, they didn't know it yet. It's Jesus, but it's Jesus, because <laughs> God was moving there. And yet, what happens? Where's Elijah? Well, he climbs up on this hill, and he's all by himself in this little area, and he's sitting down, and he's pouting. That is just crazy. But that is exactly what happens. A guy that ought to be down there, the most excited one in the place, and he's up there whining, as, as we see him here in verse 4. Uh, look, in verse 5 he says, Jonah went out, sat down at a place east of the city, made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. What are you doing, Jonah? No judgment's coming. But he's hoping... God do it. The Lord God provided a vine, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. <laughs> Why? Because he was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. <laughs> God made that little worm just chewing. He's sitting under that shade, and, and, and uh, the shade's blocking Jonah from that heat, and that worm's just a chew it. And, and, and can't you just see Jonah trying to smack that worm? It's my vine. But, you know, he didn't succeed. Uh, so what happened here? Uh, dawn the next day, uh, he chewed through there. The sun rose. God provided a scorching east wind. Sun blazed on Jonah's head. He grew faint. He wanted to die. He said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. I love this. God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, says Jonah. I'm angry enough to die. Well, sour grapes. Okay. Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it and make it grow. It sprang up overnight, died overnight, but none of us, more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about that great city? God says, Jonah, I know you've been hurt by these people, but I love them. Jonah, I made them, and I, I've made them right. They've turned to me. They've changed, and you need to change too, Jonah. Uh, okay, come to the end of this thing. I've got five lessons here. I've got to squeeze in. First, uh, depressions it's not a sin. It's a symptom. Uh, the sin comes with your response. Uh, maybe it's because you've been criticized. How are you going to respond to that? Um, maybe it's because you didn't get your own way. That's where the sin possibilities come in. Um, maybe it's because you feel God's been picking on you. Maybe you're just exhausted. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of the you know most quoted preachers and all of that, uh, he stayed depressed most of the time. He had this depression that would come over him, and he just knew he was going to be a big failure. And God just kept working through him. Um, so depression is a symptom. It's, it's, it's not a sin. Secondly... Maintain a program of relaxation and rest. Uh, 
In all three cases here, they came off a spiritual high, and in all three cases, they were exhausted. You know, someone has said, and I think it's true, some days the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Sometimes you're just wiped out. Uh, there's a story of, of a businessman whose wife was experiencing depression. She was moping around the house. She was sad, lifeless. No light in her eyes, no spring in her step, just joyless. Finally he said, I've got to do something for my wife. So he booked an appointment with a psychiatrist. The two of them go to the psychiatrist. They're seeing off the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist is listening to the situation. And finally he knows what she needs. So he gets up, the psychiatrist, he walks over to the chair where the wife is seated. And he says, just tell me, just tell me how you feel. And she's talking, and he's lovingly looking in her eyes, and he's listening intently. And then after he listens intently, he gently puts his hand on her shoulder and says, it'll be okay. And then he motions for her to get up, and then he reaches out and he gives her a big hug. And she begins to cry. And she melts. And he says, Did you see that? As he turned to her husband, This is what she needs. She, she needs this every day. And the husband responded, Well, I can bring her on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, but the other days, I've got to play golf. He just missed it all together. Uh, the, the point is, guys, rest is important. Uh, a third one here. Um, guard against these complexes inferiority, superiority, martyr complex uh, Rodney Dangerfield, the comedian once said, once uh, my dad told me nobody likes me, he said don't say that everybody hasn't met you yet <laughs> well, it, sometimes we have that feeling um, but the truth of the matter is there is such great value in a friend and when I'm talking to friends I'm talking about you only really have a few in life but I encourage you, let that happen. Find a real friend if you don't have one, because it's a treasure. Um, here's some quotes on friendship. One who, uh, this is from an essay contest. One who multiplies joys divides grief and whose honesty is inviolable. One who understands our silence. A volume of sympathy bound in cloth. <laughs> a watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. And the winning definition... A friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 reads, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I think it's interesting, it's, you know, talking about a friend, and then it mentions three strands. Talks, uh, talks about the three. I think that means that Jesus is the third. Jesus should be a part of a friendships. Uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty four: A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, fourth, God, remember, God's for you. He's not against you. He's not sitting up there saying, how can I blast my child? How can I punish him? That's not God. He loves you. He's on your side. I love Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Remember, guys, he led Abraham out of Ur. He led Israel out of Egypt. And he raised Jesus from the grave. And he's your God. He's your God. Last one. And as they say in the hills where I'm from, stick a fork in me, I'm done. Uh, Satan and his demons can also bring depression. Um, we are, 
in a spiritual battle that happens in the mind. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 to understand that there's this battleground of the mind and we need to take every thought and make it obedient to Christ uh, in this battle. Remember in Jesus' great temptation in Matthew 4 and Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm, this has been on my heart a lot lately, and I'm going to keep on pounding at it. Guys, we need the scriptures. We're looking for the next big program. We're looking for the, the, the next big experience, and, and, and I'm not against any of it, but let me tell you, if the scriptures aren't bathed there, it's not going to last. Um, as I close, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even in dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Guys, God wants to get a hold of us. He wants to change us. He wants to make us like Christ. He wants to lift us out of depression and remind us that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And, and that happens not by ignoring this, but by understanding that life is in His Word. Uh, he'll speak to us and, and draw Him to Himself. Let's pray. Lord, uh, man, we've all faced the depression factor, God. I know a message is not going to stop that. But I do know that you are the answer, God. And I do know in your word you tell us quite clearly that you love us and that we can find strength there. Sometimes, Lord, the devil attacks us and we need truth instead of uh, stinking thinking. So, Father, give us godly thinking. Remind us who we are in Jesus and what you give. Father, if someone's here has not trusted Christ and knows that life, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Uh, may that one say yes to Jesus today. Open the heart. Receive Christ. And say, forgive me of my sins. Come forward. Tell us about it, and we'll celebrate together. I'd love it. And Father, for those who are already in the family, maybe there's some stinking thinking going on. Free us, Lord. Free us from that trap and set us free for Jesus. Help us see clearly who we are and whose we are and, and what you want to do in our lives. God, we need you, Lord. As we look at these three guys, Father, great spiritual giants, all depressed, so none of us are exempt. But Father, set us free. Turn us your way. Uh, as we take time to respond, may you lead. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.